This call is now being recorded. Okay. I'm on the line right now uh, with somebody I've known uh, for quite a long time. Well, just going back to the early aughts, um, back when I used to write for a, uh, <clears throat> a weekly called uh, Philadelphia Weekly, and she edited a lot of my stuff, and now she's out in Hollywood uh, doing uh, fun stuff, uh, working on documentaries, like the the newest one that's on HBO Max, which is a very good one, uh, the Bee Gees. Um, how how do you mend the broken heart? Is, is it do or can? I just how do you mend a broken heart? Can can God damn it! <laughs> you were doing so well. I, yeah, I was doing so well, and of course it just falls. You know when I print out the goddamn title. I used I I, I was offering the uh, fan the Al Green version, hmm. but it's just like in everything. But whatever. So um, Cassie Hartman. Welcome to uh, this hastily put together uh, interview for the Crystal Cast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's great to catch up with you. I can't quite believe it's been as many years as it has. <laughs> but yeah, good to what, talk what, with you. Do, you. do you know when the last time we talked? Man, I mean, I left the weekly in 2008. Um. So I don't I don't remember if we talked since then, but you know that's a good twelve years already. I've been in LA about ten, so it's been it's been a while. <laughs> uh, okay, how long were you at the weekly? Uh, I was there about three and a half years. My three first, it was my first years. job. <laughs> Your first job? It was, did you? Yeah, you have previous journalism experience. Well, you know, just terms of studying journalism. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked uh, for the paper in college and, and studied journalism there. Um, and then, you know, I, I had been through writing in various capacities before that. Um, but I, I got really fortunate and got a staff writing job right out of school at the Weekly because I had been interning there. And uh, it was kind of a dream job for somebody who's, you know, 22. So... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember which uh, college did you go to. Oh, uh, UPenn. UPenn. Yeah, so I was already okay. in Philly interning for the weekly in college, and I wrote a story that got run as a cover story uh, at the paper and then led to getting hired, which was pretty cool. Uh, what was that? Uh, it was a story about actually <laughs> I had a like a work study job in the admissions office at Penn and um someone I worked with was actually from Iraq and had been uh basically written a diary about her experience during the Iraq war and a couple American journalists had uh gotten her out and gotten her into a well into obviously Penn to go to school. So um it was about her and her story. Hmm. Well, I don't think I ever got a like a, a Philly Weekly cover on my own. It's no, really you were like, in there a lot I, though. Yeah, it was, but it was just like it was always like I was part of a package. Like, uh, like when when Madonna did a show, everybody they did like a whole package on Madonna for some reason, and they just looking for all the contributors. Do stuff and I'm like yeah, I'll write a couple of things, and so that I would just like piggyback on just like being on the cover. Yeah, I feel like you were our go-to though on so many things. <laughs> it was like because we always knew you'd be good. You could deliver well, something that, that great. Leads, well, that leads me to just talking to you. Is always just when I always talk to people back then about that time. Uh, just, I always tend to delve into the issue of whether, uh, just, just asking them, uh, what, what was your impression of me? 
God. Because I, cause like, I, I lived in Houston, and y'all were in Philly. Yeah. And just, like, there was there was those years where I where you had no idea who the hell I was. I was just this guy yeah. just randomly turning in stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that was always the fun thing about Ryan for Philly Weekly. I, was, I literally, it'd be, like, on Monday, and y'all would be, like, in the process of editing stuff. And I just randomly turn in like a uh, like a review or or something or, or like a uh, album review or just something that was on my mind, and y'all would print it, which yeah, yeah. Which, which looking back is is goddamn amazing because it's just like you gotta go through all these channels now trying to get stuff posted or printed, and I would literally just write something on Monday morning. And it would end up in the paper on Wednesday. So it was just like. Yeah. Yeah. Look, looking back, the whole thing was kind of a dream. Um, obviously, journalism has changed a tremendous amount in the last decade since then. Um, I mean, in terms of my impression of you, keep in mind, like, this is my first job. I Most of the time, I was still figuring out what the hell was going on. So I, my impression yeah. is not necessarily, you know, uh, I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But uh, I, I remember seeing your your byline a lot and thinking you were a good writer. And and like I said, it felt like you were sort of a, a very reliable writer. Always kind of delivered something really good on time, and always had a, a good point of view. Um, and then I don't remember when we actually got to meet in person. I mean, you you used to come up to Philly time to time, right? I mean, I remember you being friends with Brian McManus, our music editor. And yeah. maybe meeting well, you through we, him. All right, we also established that you were the A and E editor, right? I was the film editor. We actually like launched a film and TV section uh, when I was there that I got to oversee. Yeah, and so there was a point where I would just, I think, I, know, I would turn in like TV stuff or movie stuff, and you would be the person I would send the stuff to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. and, and yeah, there was there was a point where I would go, like at, there was a point where I felt like oh I can do anything, <laughs> so I would go to Philadelphia from time to time. Looks like you know I've been writing for this damn publication for like like seven eight years. Um, I'll head down there and, and hang out with the people, and. <laughs> uh, I would go down there and, you know, I just, I talked about this with, with, with Liz Spickle when, uh, yeah, when I talked to her on the earlier incarnation of this, this podcast. Yeah. And it was like, there was one time, I know, I know there was one time with us, uh, that, um, it was like in, in February, I think it was, and, um, yeah, just, I, I wasn't exactly feeling things, and, uh, it, it, it was, it was weird, it was just like, I, it was just, um, I didn't discover therapy at that time back then, yeah. so I, I didn't, exp- I couldn't figure out what the fuck was, was going on with me, so I just, like, I was just very, um, depressed and then there was another time <laughs> where just like I went down there and like you know the experience I had the whole experience of being down there just soured me from the city altogether I don't feel that way now mm-hmm. but uh but yeah I was just like because I, I I got the sense you know keep in mind like I think I was uh I was in my 30s at that point, and all y'all were in your 20s, and I just started seeing like, oh, oh, I guess you know my you know, my time is 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 over, Aww. and all of y'all are just doing young people shit, <laughs> and and all of y'all are just attractive and just going around doing attractive people shit in in, in the city of brotherly love, so it's like. There's no reason for me to be here, and so yeah, so 
that was that was. Oh really man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it made you feel that way. I re- I remember hanging out with you and it always being a good time. <laughs> so uh, I'm really? sorry that it I, had such a negative effect. I me- I remember like we were hanging out. It was you, me, and and McManus and a couple other people, and I was and I was really down. And I don't know if you want me to bring this up, but it's just like there was a point where you said, where I said, like, you took off your jacket and just, like, if I show you my – you actually said, if you show me uh, my arms, will you, you know, just – you were like, look at my arms. Look at this, like, my arms are here. I think that was you <laughs> and just trying to trying to get me – I don't know how the wife felt your arms would be uh, such a positive thing, but it's just like <laughs> you—you you, you noticed there was the, I was not feeling the whole experience. Yeah. And, well, I, and, 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 yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's also because like that night ended with me getting kicked out of the club because I wore sneakers. Uh, yeah. Because like all the. Y'all were trying to club hop, and I'm like, I wore, I had on sneakers, and we went to this one place, and the guy said, you can't come in here because uh, we got sneakers. Meanwhile, I think like, like half of half of the, the the like, the slow people who would appear on Howard Stern were there, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, like they're in there, but I can't because I'm in sneakers. Just, just say I'm black. And just that yeah. out, but uh, yeah, that 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 made me feel even less like like oh, I don't belong. So I just oh man, just, yeah. I'm sorry about that, and I'm sorry about the arm thing because that sounds like a really weird thing to do. I don't remember that. Well, you know, no, no, uh, it's, but like I said, I was like, probably about 22. <laughs> you were literally like I I saw you like you were concerned. Yeah. Well, you were good. like just like we were sitting around I was like and it was it's a weird it was a weirdest thing. I don't think I ever told you this, it was because and oh Jesus. But it's just like it's it's the weirdest thing because like it was because I gave a good review of Showgirls for another pope. No, no, not Showgirls, Dream Girls. Dream Girls. I gave a good review of the movie Dream Girls to a publication, and for some reason, around that area, like that time, nobody at Philly Weekly was liking show uh, Dream Girls, and I was just like, uh, <laughs> and just and also because uh, Sean Burns, our mutual friend, he uh, he kind of gave like a mixed review of Dream Girls, and that kind of was like. The thing everybody went by because it was like shots mixing your dream girls, and I was just like, I mean, I liked the shit. I mean, it's just like it was just an okay movie. Yeah. It wasn't, but, but yeah, it just, I don't know. It was just when I see people, I just you know, I don't know if you know this about me. I don't know if you follow me. But, excuse me when I see people, especially young people who look like they are, um, you know, just seem to be having a better time than me. I just like, I just, I just, I just, I, I kind of descend. Yeah. Just that's a good way to put it. Just like, yeah, I, just, uh, I get that. I'm just gone. Yeah. You get, you get that? It's just, just like I just like what 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 else there for me to do? Yeah, well, it's not a good feeling if you're not having a you know a, a good time, uh, you know, and, and you're seeing a bunch of other plus, people doing it. You feel like you're missing out, right? And plus, you don't want to be that asshole or just like uh, you know just be in this wet blanket as the term used to be back in the day. You're trying, you know, just, but it's just like and you're not feeling it, and you just, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had a few of those. 
and it just seemed like all of y'all were just, you know, because y'all were working for the, um, you know, of course there's a city paper, but y'all the weekly. And back then, the weekly was a cool place to work at. And uh, so y'all were just like these young kids having fun with stuff. And, you know, you know McManus was there. And Stephen Wells was there, which like, yeah. that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of become a regret, like not getting to know Stephen Wells. And yeah, all these, these pretty cool, guy. cool people doing stuff. Yeah, so y'all, you were just like, uh, y'all were just into it. Yeah, it was a good time. I look back on it very fondly. I don't think I appreciated it enough because I didn't have a lot to compare it to um, back then. But it was a very sort of special moment in time, right before journalism became. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to call it now. I'm I'm not immersed in it the same way that you are uh, these days. But yeah. obviously, it's not that way anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. You you luckily got out. I mean, at what point did you say that you decided, yeah, I need to get the hell out of here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I remember they were bringing in a lot of consultants toward the end who were trying to tell us, like, how to deal with the Internet. And it was all about, you know, web video and clicks and listicles and all of that stuff. Uh, and it, it felt like the beginning of the end in some ways people were getting laid off and all that. Um, so yeah, I had always been interested in film and television. And so it felt like a good time to try to make a jump. When did you move over to Cali? Uh, 2009. I moved out here with no plan, which proved to be a lot more difficult than I had expected. <laughs> but well, it worked well, out in the end. Well, well, yeah, just like, how the hell do you do that? Like, you go to Los Angeles, I mean, like, I don't know if you know, just like California is, is has the, the biggest, one of the, one of the largest homeless populations in the entire country. Yeah. And somehow you made it. <laughs> well, I mean, I had, I did have some advantages, I will have to say, but I mean, I, I guess, thing I had no plan is not quite true. I applied to grad schools out here with the thinking that I would go to film school. Um, and But I, I moved out here before I knew if I got in and just decided I would try to find a job. And that was what was pretty rough because, you know, it's the jobs you're looking at. I was, I was getting paid very little as a journalist, and the jobs I was looking at out here were even worse. Um, so lots of just kind of like freelance writing gigs or blogs and stuff and the occasional like PA gig on a set or something like that. You know, it was a lot of like Craigslist hunting, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And fortunately I did get into school uh, and had the ability to go. uh, But it was, you know, even after grad school, I've sort of had a crisis of, like, what have I done with my life? Because I had a pretty successful journalism career starting up, and I sort of interrupted all of that and had to restart in my mid-20s, uh, which at the time felt uh, pretty depressing. I was looking at a lot of assistant jobs that I didn't even want and not getting them. <laughs> so it yeah. was a, a, rough, uh, a rough few years there. Uh, yeah, I've been mean. I was wondering. Yeah, I wanted to bring up your assistant years because weren't you were an assistant to uh, some celebrities? Uh, I don't think so. I was assistant to um, like a producer right out of grad school who was starting his own company. Um, I'm trying to think if there was ever any celebrities. No, I'm not sure uh, what you're saying. I, I heard. I, I like I I thought you were an assistant to a actor slash comedian and his uh his 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 actor girlfriend. And I don't that, think that so. <laughs> I've had a lot of jobs though, so I'm like racking my brain now. Like, am I forgetting one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you probably just put it in the back of your mind. You don't want. To I blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the time to ask is just what made you decide to get into that 
line, just get into the biz in the first place? Um, I felt like I, you know, I wanted to be a storyteller. I've always wanted to tell stories in some capacity. Um, and writing was always kind of like my initial way in, but I felt like I also had always loved film, docs, TV, and that there was an opportunity to maybe even reach a bigger audience through that type of storytelling. Um, and it just felt like something I could sort of blend my journalism experience, which did prove to be really useful and continues to be. Um, and also my love of film and sort of see what I could figure out. <laughs> um, there's probably not a lot more to it than that, honestly, but I, I sort of figured it out as I went from there. Well, uh, you're in, uh, you're, you, you're working with, uh, White Horse Pictures. Yep. And, uh, just, just tell me how you got involved with that. Yeah, that was another really, like, fortuitous situation. Um, cause I, I think I was working as an assistant and kind of, like, desperate to, to find something else to do. Um, and I saw a job opening for, uh, like a coordinator or like a co-director of documentary films, uh, for this small company that was called Spitfire Pictures. And it was part of a bigger film company called Exclusive Media. And, uh, I applied for that and I actually, I think I didn't get it <laughs> the first time. Um, and then like six more months went by or something and the guy who's running the department at the time got back in touch, said there was this job open. Uh, I got the job the second time and, uh, about a year into the job, um, the sort of larger company that it was a part of went away. Um, and, uh, Nigel Sinclair and Guy East who were running exclusive media, they decided they wanted to start a new company. And they asked me and a few other people I was working with in the documentary company to do that with them. And so I had this opportunity to actually, like, launch a content company from the beginning, working for two people who had launched many successful companies in the past, which was a great kind of learning experience. And so we did that seven years ago. Um, and there's four partners there now who've been there from the beginning and we've just sort of built it from there. I gotta say, it was interesting watching uh, the documentary "The Beatles Eight Days a Week," and yeah. uh, uh, just, just looking at the credits, I see your name, and like, oh shit, I know her. Um, <laughs> I mean, what was it? What experience was like? working with that picture yeah well that was the first one we did as white horse um and i was still kind of learning the ropes a bit then um but obviously you know <laughs> the beatles are a pretty big one to start on so i think there was there was a lot of pressure to kind of obviously make something great um but also there's been so much done about the beatles it's sort of like the question is like how do you tell a new story um, or a fresh angle on the story? Um, well, I mean, so that was that, sort of how we went into it. Well, how how did that all come about? Where it's like, oh, we're just doing a documentary on the beat. Yeah. Um, well, Nigel, who's the chairman of our company, he had produced a documentary about George Harrison that Martin Scorsese directed. A living okay. in the material world and uh it was really successful and you know won a lot of awards and so the relationship with the Beatles was already strong from that and they actually you know approached us and said we've been gathering all this archive they've been working with these archivists for a lot of years to just collect archive from around the world um on the band and so they had this treasure trove of assets uh, and they wanted someone to actually put them together into a film. Um, and, you know, we were fortunate to get Ron Howard interested in directing uh, and sort of went from there. 
I got the opportunity to write sort of the initial outline of what the film could be, which is pretty cool. Um, that's where the journalism stuff seems to come in a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, we just went from there. Unfortunately, it was, it was really successful. Uh-huh. I mean, how was that just having, just being a part of something such as a movie like that? Because I thought, uh, what was that? I thought on uh, Hulu. Yeah. That, you know, a few years ago, and I mean, I'm sure you toured around uh, festivals. Just how how integral you were in terms of just that movie being uh, toured around the place. I mean, you go to festivals and you go to, you know, just take part in just the 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 experience that was bringing that movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Our films don't always do like a full festival run because uh, a lot of times we'll pre-sell them to a platform. Um, so we don't necessarily, a lot of times, you know, you're going to a festival to get exposure and to find a buyer. Uh, but often we don't, we already sort of have a deal in place. So Beatles didn't sort of tour festivals widely. Um, but we did get to have a premiere in London, which was pretty amazing to have Paul and Ringo there, Madonna came, Eric Clapton came, you know, you have like all the kind of big, uh, English, uh, people in music there. And that was pretty special to be able to be a part of that. Did it get you kind of hyped up and just like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm a documentary filmmaker now. I got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm Big Willie. I can, I can just. Uh, I sort of never yeah, feel definitely. like Big Willie, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it was exciting. I mean, it felt like holy shit. Like I helped make a movie, which you know it can take a long time struggling uh, in the entertainment business to actually feel like you had a hand in something that gets made. So. In that sense, I think I was really lucky, and I knew it, that, you know, my second job out of grad school, I got to work at a a company that was that collaborative where I got to actually contribute real ideas to something. Um, And it it got to be something, obviously, with a very, you know, one of the best and biggest fans ever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I definitely – was feeling pretty cool at the premiere, (laughs) but then you go back to ground zero after every film. It's like, okay, now you're nothing again. What's the next one? How do you survive? And it's, you know, docs aren't exactly like big money makers. So you always got to keep working. I knew it was was the next one you did. Um, the one about the Apollo, which, you know, fortunately, as I've seen, is that, is that round? Yeah. So then we started working on a couple films. The Apollo was the one that I was the closest involved with, and it was the longest journey. We worked on that for, like, seven or eight years. My partners, Nigel and Jeannie, worked on it, like, a year or two longer than I did, even. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a long one. <laughs> well, well, why is well? First off, what made you decide to get involved with that, and what 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 made it a long one? Um, that one appealed to me from the very beginning because I think it's sort of back to my journalism roots again, uh, and my roots at the weekly actually sort of I think the social, uh, whatever you want to call it, social action component or like the 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 larger kind of issues that it raised um, were really interesting to me. And obviously there's incredible music, incredible artists that came through the Apollo, but the theater is about a lot more than that. Um, and the way that it was able to provide a platform to black artists and essentially transform American culture uh, is pretty remarkable. And so I thought it was pretty incredible that that story had never really been told. There was like a BBC doc that was done when the Apollo was closing 
um, and they thought it was going away in the 80s. Uh, and that was really the last thing that had been done. So it just felt like a really unique opportunity to tell to tell that story. Mm. And going, getting the opportunity to go to the Apollo and meet the people who work there only solidified that because, you know, the passion that those people have for what they're doing. And, you know, there's the, the historian, resident historian Billy Mitchell has been working there for, you know, 50 years since he was a 13-year-old boy. And people like that, it just, there were so many great characters to capture in that film. Here's the uh, Showtime at the Apollo. You used to watch that on a week <laughs> I have. I remember it coming on. I think it was like after Saturday Night Live where I lived. And uh, I do, yeah. <laughs> it was like Wait, a later iteration. Where did you live back in the day? Yeah, in, in Colorado, growing up in Colorado. Uh, yeah, I yeah, because I, I saw uh, the uh, you know Colorado area code on um, just like and just like how uh, how close are you to Colorado these days? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've hung on to that number for about twenty years or so. I uh, I love Colorado and miss it. But I haven't been going there a lot this year, obviously. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, well, I mean, just just what I mean, what is? Can can you give me you know, where where are we with the, the Apollo? Is this something? It, can, it seems to be like a project you personally have a lot of personal interest in. Yeah, I did. And um, just like, where's where's that going to end up now? Well, it's it's on HBO, uh, okay. and so it's it's out, and it had a great run. I mean, we we played festivals all over the country and the world, uh, and HBO was really really supportive of that and continues to be because we've been doing screenings at uh, HBCUs. And um, working with, like, different cultural groups to do screenings because, you know, I think there's there's a lot of – it opens up a lot of conversations. Um, and so it's, we've always sort of wanted there to be an educational component to it. So I'm thrilled that that's happening. And the film won the Emmy for Outstanding Documentary this year, which was a, a very think- nice way to cap off seven years of work. <laughs> so Yeah, pretty cool. I was just like – I remember hitting you up and I was like, can I get like a screener for that or something like that? And yeah, you, you told me that like HBO got that all locked up and I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I see like it, it premiered like last, last year, which is, I actually just, okay, I'm going to keep it. I just got the HBO Max thing because I'm not I'm not special and just like trying to figure out and I just I just started uh subscribing to HBO Max because uh, you know you gotta you gotta do that now since Warner Brothers yeah. distributing all the all the goddamn movies on there now. So yeah I'm just trying whole new world. But uh like yeah, I saw the Beatles documentary, and then and I recently saw the uh, the Bee Gees documentary. Yeah. Yeah, just and, and once again it was an experience where it was just like I was watching it, and then I saw and then I saw your name in it, and I was like, oh god damn it, I know her. And just, <laughs> And so, just like, just want to want to tell me how that experience went and all that. The Bee Gees. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just doing a documentary and everything. Because you weren't like, well, I, well, I forget your title in the uh, your official title in the documentary when you were like on a creative consultant, a story consultant, or what was that? Yeah, on Bee Gees, I was a story consultant and an executive producer. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, 
it's uh, all of these projects are amazing to work on. I, I definitely feel privileged to be able to do it. And um, generally, um, I mean, Apollo, I was a producer, fully fledged producer on. Um, so I was day to day, you know, involved in pretty much every aspect of the film. Um, mm-hmm. But BG's, I, I was mainly involved in kind of helping to construct the initial outline of what the film, like kind of what the arc of the film and the scope of the film was going to be, uh, working mm-hmm. with Mark Monroe, who's the, the film's writer, and then giving notes on the cuts um, and helping to shape it, which, you know, so much of documentary filmmaking happens in the edit because you never know what you're going to get until you actually shoot your interviews. Um, so, yeah, I mean, on that one, that was what I was mostly involved with. And, and I mean, the, the journey of that film has been amazing because it was, it was just so well received. And, uh, just, I think the moment that being able to come out at a time when, you know, unfortunately everyone's trapped at home, but I think fortunately for the film, it meant we had a pretty captive audience and a lot of people were able to see it, which was pretty cool. So it's, it's been fun to see it resonating the way it has. It, I gotta say, like the, the, I think the, the thing that a lot of people I know has um, have, have have touched on, which uh, it was glad it was glad it was included in the doc, is how you basically bring up how the BGs were part, frankly, of a smear campaign uh, because there was you know that dude. That I was a Chicago DJ who didn't like dis- disco, yeah, and just basically revealed how this, the people who hate disco just basically um, just didn't like uh, black and gay people having a good time dancing. Yeah, Steve Dahl, he was a pretty good yeah. villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, you know when you look back on it. That's that's basically kind of what it was because it's like, yeah, you know, disco is supposed to be this 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 uh, this, this low form of pop music, but it's really just like you just like oh minorities are into this, let's let's get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was seen as sort of urban and progressive in a way that was threatening to a lot of people. Um, yeah. And the Bee Gees definitely got caught up in that. But yeah, I mean, finding the guy who was, the guy who was working there at the time, um, you know, just being able to talk about, about that experience and like kind of the level of hate that was sort of reverberating through that, that stadium. Um, it's pretty, pretty shocking and interesting. I mean, obviously there's pretty direct ties to a lot of things that are going on now. You can kind of imagine. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people were kind of – I've noticed a lot of people saying, like, you know, I love the Bee Gees, and then they just disappeared, and I didn't really know what happened. And so it was it was cool to be able to kind of explain that um, in a new way to people because I don't think most people understood. So, yeah, we, we usually look for moments like that in all of our films, like the, the Beatles film um, – we we found that the black woman who had been to the Gator Bowl kind of uh, as a kid and and got an opportunity to tell the story about how like that you know they were still segregating stadiums at the time and the Beatles refused to play there unless they had desegregated it. Um, I think moments like that where you can find an opportunity that's like an intersection between the music and actual larger kind of social movements and and issues is always always gives it another level of depth i just gotta say as the first time i ever found out about the Bee Gees wasn't even with saturday night fever the music but with uh sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band the movie they did with peter frampton yeah and that has been it's also been kind of an issue just like how are you going to overlook 
that movie and uh, is that you know ironic being that you worked on the Beatles documentary uh, <laughs> that you didn't include this was this an issue of uh, of rights or just like nobody wanted to bring that movie up no I think it was honestly an issue of time like the, the biggest challenge with these films is like how do you tell you know this 40 year story 50 year story sometimes more in two hours and make it feel like a real cinematic journey, you know? Um, and I think in this case, they're just, we had to make choices on what was important to include and what wasn't. Um, yeah. So I think it was more that than anything. But that is something people have brought up. It's, it's interesting to see what people miss or, you know, what things connect. And I know some people have brought that up for sure. So, you know, maybe we should have done like some extras or something on it. I don't know. I mean, well, so it's tough to cover everything. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the things we've lost when, because nobody buys DVDs anymore. Right. Like all that shit you can put in the special feature section. It's like, oh, all the stuff that wasn't in the movie, just watching special features actors, but we don't have that now, so we just yep. like the movie way it is. Uh, well, just the obvious question is, um, what, are you, what are you working on now? Um, well, in terms of stuff that I can share, we've got a film about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, that we're oh, partnered with Imagine on that uh, Amy Poehler is directing. Which Amy Poehler is directing. She is. Lucy and Desi Duck. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Very excited about that one. She's kind of the, the perfect person to, to tell that story to. So uh, I think that's going to be a great one. So we're just getting into production on that one, digging through all the archives, you know, all that fun stuff, starting to shoot some interviews. Um, so that's that's going to be one of our next big ones. Um, and then we've got, you know, we always have a, a bunch of other docs and doc series and some scripted stuff in development, too. You kind of have to have a lot of irons in the fire because you never know what's going to what's going to go. But it's been it's fun to be at a, a small company because you're. You know, you get to be heavily involved in a lot of things. And with documentaries, producers are, I would say, more involved in a lot of ways than teachers. So you, you get to be really hands-on with a lot of this stuff, which is pretty cool. I guess, uh, well, uh, let's get down to what this, this conversation really is about. Uh-oh, and Okay. What is it really about? It's really about um, how can I contribute to all of this? <laughs> no, you're going to put me on the spot on the podcast? Yes, I'm in Houston, <laughs> and I ain't got a goddamn thing going apart from seasonal affective disorder. Oh, and, man. Uh, this, this, this combination of just, you know, getting to know, like, what you've been doing and also to see, hey, hey, maybe, like, you know, if you if you see, like, an opening, mm-hmm. just, like, you know, just, then, you know, don't forget. That's how I got in the Philly Weekly in the first place. Because, like, <laughs> the editor, my, my former editor, Hobart Rowland, uh, you know, I used, to, I used to work for him in Houston. He moved to Philly, and I would yeah. badger him and say, hey, dude, just, like, let yeah, you know, I so I I wasn't mind working for a Philly paper, and that's how I got to working working at the Weekly, and um, and so I'm always will ready and willing to harass uh, <laughs> former colleagues into you know just, just seeing if there is a possibility. Hey, even though I'm down here in Houston, I, I am, you know, ready to, you know, to do things. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how any, like, that's how everyone gets jobs is it's always through who you know. <laughs> in the end, I 
free to harass me anytime. Whoa, is that, what was that? Did you hear that? That is a public safety alert. Uh, COVID-19 surging at a dangerous rate in Houston. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. How's, how's, how's COVID going down there? Uh, I think we're at the epicenter possibly of the world at this point in L.A. County. Oh, it's really bad. Have you been down to El Paso? They just like, shit, shit's going bad over there. No, I know it's really bad there, too. That's the sad yeah. thing about this country is, like, everywhere you go, it's like, you know, COVID has it's fucked the whole place up. And you're just like, you know, we could have we could have avoided this. Yeah. We really could have, but it's just like we haven't. It's completely infuriating. It's it's pretty unbelievable, actually, uh, and yet very predictable in a lot of ways at the same time because we didn't do anything. Extremely predictable. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it is you know I mean L.A. actually was one of the earliest places to start the lockdown and masks and all of that, and so we were doing well for a while, and it felt like we were actually like pretty well managed. Um, but it's completely flipped now. And I think just like New York, we're just super high density. We have a lot of poverty, um, a lot of, uh, you know, people who got to go to work every day still. And it's just completely gotten out of control. Uh, so it sucks. Um, but I, I, was, I was just, you know, once again, not to, not to take you back to 2000. Uh, six or seven to when I was just like a miserable son of a bitch. But, uh, it's just like, I was just thinking just how, you know, the, the, it's not even like now we have to worry about it. It's like the next two years. It was the next, between people not working and people possibly losing their homes. Yeah, the economic fallout is a whole other beast that we haven't even fully reckoned with yet. It's... Yeah, like nobody's really addressing that. Like, there's a good possibility we will have a, a, a just a, just this this is just this huge um, mass of of homeless, unemployed people. Yeah. Because nobody wanted to deal with that shit now. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's going to be a mess for a long time. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, hopefully at least within the next, like, six to nine months with the vaccine, people can start going back to work. But, yeah, it's not going to be good. It's, uh, it's pretty depressing, actually. But <laughs> not to bring down, bring this down too much, but. Well, obviously, been listening a lot to my podcast because that's what it is on a general basis. But <laughs> it's a therapy also, session. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, most, and also just like just we just just we need to just discuss this stuff and just. If I don't know, for me, it doesn't seem it, you know maybe just me because like I've been I've lived through this shit for decades. Where it's just like, oh, y'all gotta figure out what the fuck to do with yourselves. I guess I've been doing that for ten years, so right. Let's let's yeah. get through it all together. No, I know it's it's pretty bleak. Um, and I, yeah. I mean, out here, there's just there's so many people who rely on restaurants, rely on like like gyms and all all that stuff. It's all closed. And then production obviously has been it's 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 started up a little bit again, but now they're now putting restrictions on it once again. So it's like huge swaths of the population here are out of work. And I know that's the yeah. case in a lot of places. So I I don't know. It's it's gonna be a rough road. Mm-hmm. Um unfortunately. So I feel lucky that people still there's still a demand for content, uh, at least during this time. So there's some hope there, but it's a lot of uncertainty. And I, you know, I, I graduated and right after that, we had the, the first sort of economic crisis or not the first, but 2008 crisis. 
Uh, mm-hmm. oh, so yeah. I feel like most of my working life between that and the crisis in journalism, <laughs> it's like, you know, there's uh, not a lot of bright spots economically, unfortunately. It's kind of, kind of ironic. It's like if we just get through this together, you know, might, we might be able to persevere. But, yeah. of course, everybody is afraid of everybody and just, like white people going to CVS and just raising a goddamn ruckus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exposed, obviously, a lot of other uh, deeply ingrained issues we have going on in this country. Um, I do hope that in that exposure, there's some hope for, you know, solutions in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um and I do think that, I mean, at least for me, I feel, I feel like it's reprioritized some things in my own life and made me appreciate some things that, you know, maybe I didn't as much as I should have before. So I hope it has that effect on, on a lot of people. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the, it's about half this country that doesn't even want to take a vaccine or, you know, it's hard to even feel like you understand your fellow Americans right now? I guess now is the time where I should apologize for uh, just, you know, delving into issues this this deep and depressing. No, it's life. That's that's reality right now. No need to apologize. Yeah, because I just wanted to just, like, uh, get back to just, just like we, you know, just catch up with you and everything. You keep on keeping on, dear, and I just just enjoy your work. It's just nice seeing Thank somebody you. out there doing things and then fighting a the good fight. And uh, just <laughs> we have we have a discussion. You, you you actually married, you have a husband, but you know that's your personal stuff. I didn't want to get you know you know delve into most of that. We but, can catch up uh, offline <laughs> on that stuff if you want. Yeah. But yeah, I hope yeah, I hope you're hanging in there and you know I follow your your reviews and all the stuff that you do and you know I just hope things are things are going all right and I'm always around so if you want to catch up or yeah. chat about anything. That's yeah, cool. I appreciate that and just you know same here. Uh well it's nice uh nice nice talking to you again. Just you know, good luck with all the stuff you got going in the future. And just good luck in general. Thank you. You too. We'll get we'll all get through this. Yeah, well, and people always want good writers and good storytellers. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, dear, you have a good one now. Thanks, Craig. Great to talk to you. Great talking to you. Okay, bye-bye.